is working the beat. It is Wednesday, May 13th, 2020. Kevin Finney along with Mike Byrne will join us in a minute. Glad you can have us here on the podcast. We enter our second, um, excuse me, our third month without live sports. We are um, now three months past the Rudy Gobert incident into our, we are two months calendar-wise now in our third month without live sports. Uh, more talk about possible timelines in Major League Baseball. There's some sticking points, however. NBA players are being polled to see whether they want to come back by the end of NBA PA. Um, NASCAR returns this weekend. All this stuff going on. And there's an element to it that I wanted to bring up, and we're going to, uh, with Robert Costa, the national political reporter, the lead national political reporter, for the Washington Post, who uh, also appears with NBC News, is the host of Washington Week on PBS every Friday night. Uh, one of the smartest minds in American journalism right now. And the reason we have him on, he's also a diehard Phillies and Eagles fan from Pensbury High School. We'll talk about his experience uh, in, as a Phillies fan, as an Eagle fan, and also the role that politics may be playing in the reopening of sports leagues, especially now with uh, obviously the White House and, uh, and and a lot of people wanting to push the envelope here a little bit. So Robert will give us a little bit of the lay of the land on that. We'll also talk some fun stories about his time at Pensbury and his time as an Eagle and a Philly fan. That'll be next after our first break. Then later on the show, Mike and I will discuss the MLB plan, which... Uh, <laughs> Folks are not coming back for a revenue share. They're just not. I'm telling you right now. And uh, Mike and I will discuss that. I, I, I just don't see it happening. And I know that's going to disappoint and anger some people. Uh, but th- th- there's, I think the players union's right on this one. And that's not a popular thing to say, but I, I, I'll, I'll spell it out later on. Um, they would be foolish to give in on this one. Foolish. Uh, and I get the economic concerns and everything, but they would be foolish to give in. So we'll go over that. We'll go over some of the other things going on in this is interesting time. You know, we're kind of in that that bridge period here where you don't know exactly where this is going. I mean, we all wa- thought maybe we had a clear idea two weeks ago that, all right, maybe baseball's back and all that. I don't think it's g- given to anybody's back at this point. So it's going to be fascinating to see how the leagues and the teams handle these next couple of weeks because this is when the decisions will be made and there will be different elements at play. Health, obviously, is one. Money's another. There's also a political push because if you don't think that there's going to be some push from politicians to reopen the country in certain ways or some politicians holding back maybe a little cautiously, you're not paying attention to what's going on here. So we'll talk to Robert about that. We'll talk to all of our, we'll talk to all those topics coming up as we're going to be continues right after these important messages. Stand by for Robert Costa here on Working the Beat. Looking to reach the sports fans of Philadelphia in a brand new way. This is Kevin Cooney. Each week, the Working the Beat podcast with Mike Kern and I brings the hottest topics into this sports crazed town with the people and the events that shape the landscape. Now, your business could connect with those people by advertising on the Work of the Beat podcast. Join us at 267 546 7277 
or email us at workingthebeat at gmail.com to find out how you can reach out to this growing audience. It's the best sports talk in Philadelphia, and you can be a part of it. That's 267-546-7277 or workingthebeat at gmail.com to join the Work in the Beat podcast family. And joining us now, uh, a proud graduate of Pensbury High School 2004, uh, went on to the University of Notre Dame, now is the national political, lead national political reporter for the Washington Post, the host of Washington Week on PBS, and a what, uh, what's he doing on this show Kevin? and contributor to nbc know. news and i have no idea what he's doing here but he's awful yeah, i'm on. awful glad that he is here robert costa robert how are you i'm doing well I'm, I'm here because i grew up reading kevin i'm a philly guy bucks county pensbury high school and you, you could i i started my whole media career as a reality section writer for the courier times which is the teen section of the courier Times. yeah so i've always read do you kevin. realize I mean, God, do you realize what you just said? Nobody's ever said that before. I grew up reading Kevin. Uh, it's true. That, that, that's a first on this show. When, when Bob when Bob started reading me, I had all my hair, and it was and it was dark, as opposed to now. Um, Kevin was a sport. See, I was a sports junkie growing up, so you knew which sports writers really love sports, what who were into sports, and that Kevin just nailed it. And, and Kevin had this way of for the Courier of covering local and Philly. And it was it was a nice yeah. mix. Yeah, you got to remember though, he learned. Kevin learned from the best because he grew up with Ted Solari. Yeah, I Ted believe, was, right, Kevin. That's T- how you Ted got was my mentor. Yeah, and right, you t- can't you can't do any better. All right, than that. enough about me because my wife would get really disgusted if she heard me talk uh, talking about me. Um, <laughs> no, we're talking about you. That's it's okay. okay. Um, but Bob, I got to ask. I had somebody bring this up on Twitter yesterday when I mentioned you were coming on here. True or false, your first on-camera interview for Pensbury's television station was with David Akers? Wow, whoever brought that up has real good Bob Costa knowledge. <laughs> it's true. My first interview for Pensbury TV, it's called PHS TV. This was probably 2002 or 2003, probably 2002, the fall of 2002. Acres was at uh, Dick's Sporting Goods in Bucks County and, and near, near the mall, but near at, the Oxford, uh, Oxford Valley Mall, mall right? It's still there. The Dix is is still there. And he was doing a a signing or something. uh, And I was, I got the assignment to go interview acres. He was pretty articulate guy. He was friendly guy. And uh, Pensbury had a crazy system going where the Eagles allowed me and other Pensbury students to cover games in the locker room. So I used to get into it with Hugh Douglas and David Akers and those great Eagles teams around 0304 when they went to the Super Bowl. Well, that had God, be- Kevin, he he had a better relationship with the Eagles than we do. That's true. <laughs> you had, I mean, I think <laughs> I think the Merrill influence had a lot to do with that too. Merrill obviously owned um uh, uh WBCB still owns WBCB and obviously WBCB broadcast all the Pensbury games and it's basically in the backyard uh of Pensbury so I think there was a, a connection there so no you and you're so right Kevin to give credit to Merrill Reese because his connection to Lower Bucks County Pensbury High School he was always a supporter there was a teacher at Pensbury who was a real mentor to me Al Wilson who ran the school TV station for decades he was close to Merrill Reese just in a friendly way and Merrill helped the Eagles PR kind of give their blessing because it didn't make sense to allow high school students. But if Merrill said it was it was going to be okay and Al Wilson gave Merrill the guarantee that we would act professional, 
it kind of worked. And uh, it was, a, I'm telling you, it really, I give the Eagles organization, Mel Reese, the, and a lot of credit for just not saying no. Everyone says no to young people a lot, and they said yes. Robert, I mean, you are in that Washington bubble where, I mean, Hallie Jackson went to Pensbury, correct? She was uh, a year ahead of me. Uh, she was a year or two ahead of me. She she was not only went to Pensbury, but Hallie Jackson, from who's now NBC News' as chief White House correspondent, she was on Pensbury's debate team with me. What was that like? What did, What is this, the cradle of journalism? I missed this? <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> you know who else went to Pensbury? Was, uh, and we're still friendly, is Zach Woods, the actor who is a star on The Office, and he played the character Gabe. Yeah. He was one of the stars of Silicon Valley, kind of a tall and lanky actor. Uh, you would recognize him in a second. He went to Pensbury. Uh, Christy Altamar, who's a Broadway star, she was the lead in Anastasia recently on Broadway. Uh, she, she went to Pensbury. So it's, it, it, it's it for a big public school outside of Philly. It's got some interesting uh, threads. And yeah, you guys must have some great reunions. We do, but I don't know who's going to have reunions now in the age of Zoom. Zoom <laughs> you yeah. And you were there. You crossed over, I think, with Lavoy Allen for one year, correct? That's right. Lavoy, I saw Lavoy Allen play high school basketball. It, he, he was – it was uh, – Dalton Pepper was a star around that time, yep. but Lavoy yeah. was a little right. bit after me. Lavoy was a true talent, but he was such a humble player. He yep. was a – that he didn't he didn't create the kind of waves you would expect in terms of local publicity. I know you I know you recognize his talent, Kevin, but he was just a, kind of a late bloomer in basketball. But he's probably one of the best talents ever to come out of Bucks County. And he was overshadowed. Yeah, Fran Dunphy would agree with that. Yeah, he was overshadowed by Dalton. Dalton had more right, publicity yeah. going in, but um, right. Tell the story. I know you've told the story a million times. You got Maroon Five and John mm-hmm. Mayer to show up at Pensbury. How? Yeah. Well, I mean, with no money, which was which, which is, part is amazing. Of the, of the story, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And in this age where every money drives so much, right? That uh, long story short is, I was doing student government. I was uh, doing high school newspaper, Courier Times, a little bit, and I started covering concerts. And for the reality section, it was great because I would get emails from publicists, and they would think I'm an adult because I was covering concerts for the Courier Times. So I let this illusion continue. I would get invitations to go cover concerts at the Trocadero, Tower Theater, Electric Factory. So I drive down 95 and cover concerts, and they leave me two tickets at the window. So I had no money. I worked at a sports collectible store. It used to be called BC Sports Collectibles at the Oxford Eye Mall. So I had no money to go to these big concerts. But the, if I covered it for the reality section, I got two free tickets. And for myself at 17, it was an opportunity to take a girl out to a concert. So a lot of it was working in my favor. So uh, I got to know some of these bands just by saying, Hey, why not? I'd ask for an interview and I would get an interview. And so I got to, I was at a John Mayer concert at the Leah Chorus center at Temple in 2002. And I'm, I'm get my press tickets and I'm standing there for this opening band that no one's ever heard of called Maroon five. I'm not in a long, seemed like a good band. And this guy next to me says, you like this band? I said, yeah, I'm here to recover mayor, but I'm going to write about this band as well. He, he says, my name is Ben Berkman. I'm, I'm with Octone Records. I run Maroon 5. Why don't you come meet him? So I went to meet Maroon 5. Then I met John Mayer for the first time. And I was a junior in high school. And I said to Maroon 5, you got to come play our school. So they came a few months later in the spring of 03. And it's amazing because Maroon 5 was not known at the time. They played for about 1,000 Pensbury students for free. One thing I'll always remember about that concert is they got off their tour bus and they parked their tour bus alongside all the yellow school buses. And I think they may have been uh, 
smoking something in their bus <laughs> because they went to the home ec room and took some fresh baked cookies and they ate tons of these cookies that were sitting there. I can't wait to read your memoirs. Yeah. I, it, are you starting on them or what? Well, I still got to live life, man. And uh, a great read though. And so anyway, Maroon 5 played a great show. And a few months later, they became ex- exploded out of the blue with that song, Harder to Breathe, and then yep. This Love. And then a year later, I'd been asking Mayer to play prom at Pensbury, which, as you know, is in the school itself. It's kind of an old yeah. school prom, great prom. And uh, Mayer kept saying no. I went up to New York City, kind of begged his manager to come do it. Didn't expect anything to happen. And then a day before prom in 04, May of 04, I get a call. Mayer's going to come. You got to keep it un- keep it tight. And he showed up at the Burger King in Fairless Hills at 11 o'clock on prom night in a tuxedo jacket and, jean, and jeans, and he played for free at Pensbury's prom. Even my date didn't believe me that he was there, but he played. And uh, I'll, I'll never forget it. Another band from the 90s came when I was there on my invite, Eve Six. You remember that song, I remember, Inside Out? Now, and all that? Yeah, I remember yeah. Eve Six. I'm, I'm not that old. You know, I'm close, but I'm not. <laughs> um, but I was mentioning you, Hallie. Jake Tapper's a Philadelphia area person. And he is. There's like a secret Philadelphia, like Kristen Welker's from Philly. Right. We worked a at Channel Ten from Philly. I think it's part of the Philly ethos, don't you think? It's like the way Philly people are. It's kind of tough. Not we don't really care if people push us around. I mean, I learned a lot in those Eagles locker rooms and local locker rooms, and just cover, covering stuff as a, lo- a, a local reporter. People in Philly just kind of don't put up with stuff. It's a bit of a mix of New York, but it's not full New York. And I think if Chris Matthews is a Philly guy. Um, I've been on, you know, he's retired now, right. but he's always been good to me. And uh, it, it, there's a certain Philly personality that just kind of works. Because I think in the media, especially covering politics, you got to be able to walk up to a politician in the halls of the Capitol and put a microphone in their face and not be nervous about it. And Philly people aren't nervous about that kind of thing. And the other part is, I would always, when I would cover Phillies Nationals down there, if you walked around on a Saturday or a Sunday, you would run into these people on a fairly regular basis with their families or with their you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. Just the, it's amazing. Like for somebody who, I'm a, I'm a quiet politics junkie. Like you run into it. Like I would see Chris Matthews occasionally at a Phillies game down there. I mean, there's a little bit of a, a in, in a, City, that's a division rival in a lot of cases. There's a little bit of an undercurrent of Philadelphia still through that town, isn't it? In Washington, oh, there, there certainly is. I mean, the, the people who grew up in Washington are hardcore Redskins. The Nationals have a lot of fans, and I, I have to say, I'm a Nationals fan to a point, right? Oh. Wait, let me let me explain. Okay, I've lived here for over ten years. Mm-hmm. I can't. I love baseball. I can't sit around hating the Nationals. I live here. But I appreciate them like you would appreciate an in-law or someone's friend. Like they're all, they're someone I just, they're in my neighborhood. They're in my life. But the teams that really shaped my life, 1993 Philadelphia Phillies. I mean, those Lenny Dykstra, Darren Dalton, Kurt Schilling, Donovan McNabb, Randall Cunningham. I mean, I'm still Philly at my core, but I can't go around just living hate. Now, I, I will never like the Braves. I will never like the Mets. I will hold hate in my heart for those teams. The Blue Jays ruining my childhood in the 93 series. But the Nationals, you can't help but like the Nationals a little bit. I mean, they, they, the world champions, they're, they're just a nice, they're a nice team. They're nice. They're a little Bryce, Har- Bryce Harper doesn't play there anymore, does he? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> 
Uh, and for the Eagles, uh, you're all in on the Eagles. I know. All, all in on the Eagles. I just, it's interesting because the Nationals, as I said, just have this nice vibe. I can appreciate the Nationals. I just can't get into the Redskins. I just, I can't even watch Redskins games. Well, you're like, how about, how, about the, how about the Capitals? I live next door to the Capitals. The Capitals are in the arena, one, 10 feet away from my apartment. I still am a Flyers guy. I think the Capitals are kind of like the Nationals for me. You, you, can, you can go to a game and go go Caps, but you're never going to see me go crazy. The Caps actually have a pretty diehard fan base. Some people get yeah. really into the Caps, but not me. And the Wizards nobody cares about, do they? I, there's, an, there's a media guy. He's been there for, since the 70s named Dolph. He's a great guy. He's seen the Wizards when they, they were the Bullets, and I've become friendly with him. He and I go to the same dry cleaner next to the <sighs> arena. But I, the Wizards, I, again, I, I can't get hardcore into the Wizards. I mean, I grew up as an Iverson fan. That right. was my thing. I, you know, it's funny because we used to stay in the hotels right around Capital One Arena or what it used to be, the sure. MCI or the Verizon Center. Uh, the Matchbox is around there, which is one of the best pizza places. Great we, pizza place. Great oh, pizza yeah. place. Uh, but it's always been, it was always strange when we were in D.C. because it felt like the town closed at 10 o'clock a lot of nights. <laughs> And for baseball writers, that was a bad mix. You know, like, you, you get out. Did we just miss something? No, it's a, it's a good point about D.C. It's it's grown a lot in the last five to ten years. The neighborhoods, a lot of young people moving in. But downtown D.C., there's still kind of this atmosphere that people live in Virginia, live in Maryland. They come to K Street to work. They come to 14th Street to work, and then they go home. And there are pockets of D.C., Adams, Morgan, the 14th Street, U Street corridor, that if you go back, I'd recommend. The bars there do stay open to midnight, 1 a.m. But it's never had that kind of – it's not the same kind of culture as Philly when you can drive around South Philly and there'll be bars open to 1 a.m., 2 a.m., little neighborhood places. There's some of that in D.C., but the downtown is just – it's much more corporate and office buildings than right. anything. Let me get – let's get to the politics – barring the pun of the day. Uh, and this ties in with sports. Uh, obviously, there's been a big push by the Trump administration and uh, a lot of Republicans around the country to start reopening. And sports has been part of this. I mean, you know, obviously, Mitch McConnell apparently reportedly called Rob Manfred a couple weeks ago about reopening. Mm -hmm. uh, the White House has been in constant contact with all the league commissioners about reopening. Do they see this as an important cog in their plan to get reopened and how much of a political angle is there for them? Because they want to portray the idea of normalcy coming back before November. Oh, it's a, it's a big political issue. You hear it from both sides. I especially hear it from my sources in the Trump white house. They're saying we got to get sports back before the election because the country, it's whole mood is shaped by sports. And they know it's going to probably be tougher to get college sports back because of the liability and the universities. They're hoping baseball is going to come back in some capacity. They're really hoping the NFL comes back. looks like the, NFL, the NBA is working out some kind of deal. The issue here, though, and this is a big part of actually what I'm covering right now at the Post, is liability because a lot of businesses, including sports teams, are saying, we don't want to be sued by the fans if we let fans back. We don't want to also be sued by the players. Uh and it, it, Congress, it's, it's, it's going to be, I think, very tough for the Congress to get together on the liability issue. Mitch McConnell wants a liability shield for businesses, but Democrats who run the House are saying, we got to be with the unions, we got to protect workers and their ability to file a lawsuit. We don't want liability. 
So at this point, the, the thing that's probably going to come out of Congress is more money for states, maybe some tax incentives for businesses that are bringing their supply chains back to the United States. But you hear, I've been talking to a lot of governors over the past few days, Governor Northam of Virginia, Asa Hutchinson of Arkansas. And for, Hutchinson is a Republican in Arkansas. He didn't have a stay-at-home order. And he was telling me the other day that he wants sports back. He wants people in the stands. But to that cultural point I was making about there is a divide out there. Even in Virginia, you see Governor Northam, he's a Democrat. He's talking about regional differences in his own state, the South, Southern Virginia, Central Virginia wants to reopen. Northern Virginia, which is highly populated, more liberal, they want to keep things closed a little bit longer. So, uh, but President Trump, more than anyone, when you talk to his aides, he's saying he needs sports, he wants sports, but it's not entirely under his control. These commissioners are going to have to make, it's a financial decision, it's a liability decision. So, so what happens, because everybody that seems like they talk about it, whether you're the experts or whatever, seems to think in September, October, November, whatever, we could get hit again if there's not a vaccine by then, which I'm assuming there wouldn't be. And it could, it could be maybe worse. We, we don't know. Isn't there a certain – see, I think it would be worse for the country almost if you start and then you have to stop again, which it seems to me like almost everybody is saying the odds – at least there's a, a possibility of that. It, it, so does that come into play too? Like, well, let's get back, let's get back, let's get back. Oh, my God. But at the end of September, we might have to, you know, throw it all away again. No, it's, it's part of the conversations I'm having with sources in both parties because – a lot, of, a lot of lawmakers in particular are saying we don't want to come back and raise everybody's hopes. And then let's say there's a second wave in October and sports are canceled. Nobody wins really in that scenario politically. Like you're seeing concerts be pushed to 2021, I wouldn't be surprised based on my own reporting that a lot of seasons are just pushed to 2021. I mean, even baseball right now, they're, they're trying to come up with an agreement, but the players want to be paid half their salary with, but the owners are saying we want to maybe pay you half your salary, but not based on the numbers. Based uh, on the revenue brought in because you're going to be losing revenue with not having people in the stands. Exactly. Right. I, you got it. And, and, that, and that's the thing. I mean, it, the point Mike makes is, is, is strong. I mean, and, and the NFL is obviously the main focus in this country, whether we want to admit it as baseball, you know, as a baseball. Yeah, but baseball would be the first one back, Kevin. I think people – but I'm kind of looking at that too. Yeah, I, I agree with but, what you're but, saying. But the NFL, if you lose the NFL, if there's no NFL this year, when we get to November and there's an election, that really does hit a, a, a really bad note for the Trump administration. That means that stuff is not close to normal because the NFL and, looks and, like. And the president acknowledges that to his advisors. I mean, he wants the NFL back. That's why he's on the calls personally with all these commissioners. You talk about governors, and obviously Tom Wolf has been cautious on the southeast part of the state. Obviously, he's opened Pittsburgh back up and all that. For governors to allow events to come back, Gavin Newsom has said, "Look, twenty twenty one is the earliest." Uh, and Andrew Cuomo has said he would like to have events without fans, but not necessarily uh, large scale events they're the ones who are going to ultimately make the, make or break this call, aren't they? That's such a key point because everyone keeps thinking the president's going to make decisions and commissioners are going to make decisions. We live in a this country where, I, for example, I was talking to the mayor of New Orleans the other day 
and she hasn't made no decisions on the Saints, and she was framing her answers like she was going to have a big say as the mayor in whether the Saints come back and play football. So let's say the NFL announces they're coming back. If cities don't feel like they have the capacity of hospitals, of tests, of they're not going to maybe allow their own team to reopen. And it's going to be very tough for commissioners to say you're going to have a season. But if some city, let's say uh, New Orleans, becomes a hot spot, what are they going to do in the league? And what are they going to do in uh, all these sports teams, even if you don't have, even if you don't have fans, if the whole team gets uh, the infection? What are you going to do? What is the moon? What is the moon in the Trump White House right now? It's inside when the when the microphones are off and you're really having an honest conversation with people there. They're uh, they're on edge because they were full steam ahead for months. The economy was humming. The Dow was in the high twenties. They felt good. They felt that Joe Biden, the former VP, was as the president says, a sleepy candidate in their eyes. And then all of a sudden, boom, the pandemic, scrutiny about their handling. Where, what, what did they do in March and February? Were they prepared? And the economy is on a, on a razor's edge here. And they see all the jobless numbers, and it's, it's devastating, not only for the country economically, but it's devastating political, politically for President Trump. At this point, they feel like if they, if they can somehow get the economy moving again, uh, that they, they can save themselves and, and he can win re-election in November. But the jobless numbers are just what the problem what we're seeing right now is really interesting. And it's tough to watch is that they had this bill for small businesses. They called it the cares act trillion dollars mm-hmm. of all the 2.2 trillion and all these small businesses were able to get some cash, but not every small business. A lot of the rules from the small business uh, loan program have been tough for businesses. And so what you're seeing now in the health data and the economic data, our small businesses are closing for good. And if that's the case and they're not keeping their employees on, then this is not going to be an easy bounce back by fall. Yeah. Is, there an inher- is there an inherent problem to, let's say you work in a meatpacking place. I'll just throw that out as, as an example. And you're having trouble feeling safe. You're, you're maybe, you know, you get different arguments about where testing's at or what's happening. But you're a guy who thinks maybe he's putting his health at risk. And then you see these sports teams and sports players, and they're going to test them every day, and they're going to test all the people around. You know, mm-hmm. it's almost like there's a priority there to because you're an athlete and you're, you know, a high – whatever. Is America going to face, like, that kind of dilemma too? Like, if sports comes back and we're kind of looking after them, but there's still people getting sick and dying – who maybe aren't getting the same kind of scrutiny. Is, is, is that in, just an inherent problem? Oh, it's a, testing is a huge problem. For now, they're just trying to test people who have symptoms or are in high-risk positions, like nurses are going to get tested if they, if they have a cough. But you're right, come summer, if sports teams are back and they're getting tests all the time and you're going to a meatpacking plant and you don't have access to a test, it's going to be a huge issue for a lot of people. And a lot of people in meatpacking plants, for example, are being told to go back to work. Uh, in Arkansas, I was just with the governor the other day, they're telling people, you know, they're trying to protect businesses from lawsuits in Arkansas with their own state liability protection because the whole meat supply in the country is at risk in their view if they don't protect sure. them, if the workers don't go back. But Iowa and all these other states are saying to workers, you have to go back to work. Even if you feel like it's unsafe, you're not going to get unemployment if you don't go back to work. So people who have uh, issues with their own health 
are being told you have to work because you're not going to get uh, you're not going to get unemployment insurance if you stay home. The testing situation is tough because it's not really a question of tests. There are a lot of tests available. It's the materials you need for the tests, the swabs, the reagents. All these governors don't have that. And uh, that's going to be the issue as the country goes back because a lot of companies just aren't going to have the testing capacity. But these governors, the president, they're they're pushing for the economy to open. And that was something that if, you know, I'm watching the the hearing yesterday with uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci, Robert Redfield from the CDC, um, the head of the uh, Food and Drug Administration, uh, and congressional leaders. I thought it was interesting on the testing question you have Republicans who were pretty bold. Uh, Mitt Romney was the one who stood out with the with the biggest soundbite. But who were yeah? But he don't count, Kevin, because he's an enemy of the state. Uh, <laughs> Mike, <laughs> oh, no, really, he's, I know. he's viewed as a Democrat. But, but, I mean, but, but everybody, even to a degree, Rand Paul talked about the need to get testing ramped up here before any kind of life returns to normal. Um, are Republic are, are are those type of leaders feeling a little more emboldened to maybe stand up on this issue than they have been on other issues against this White House? Robert? Yes, I mean they they feel emboldened to to a point, but so many of them feel like they need President Trump's political capital to win re-election in 2020. So Mitt Romney, the Utah senator, he's got a lot of stature, a former Republican nominee. He doesn't like President Trump. He voted uh for impeachment. He voted against President Trump on impeachment. Right. And so you're seeing him speak up, but uh, you're not seeing a wholesale break from the Republican Party at this point. There's a lot of quiet concern. But it, as someone who's covered President Trump three and a half years in the White House, really five years during his campaign, his grip on the Republican Party is so strong that anyone who breaks knows they're going to go to political war with him. So it's more the governor's who are doing their own thing that aren't fighting with him directly, but doing their own thing that stand out. Larry like Hogan of Maryland, like DeWine. like DeWine of Ohio. Cause they're, and that's the thing to pay attention to. They're not listening to the president on their own timelines. They're making decisions, talking to their experts and talking to people in their state. Yeah, but I mean, he's, so he's going to be, I just find this whole thing and I'm not a Trump guy. So, I mean, I come into it. I try to be as unbiased as I can, but, there's times when he opens his mouth and I just like lose it. But are they in Trump's corner because he's the Republican president or are they in Trump's corner because they just fear the Democrats so much that they, you know, I get a feeling there's a lot of Republicans that would love to not be with Trump per se, but they can't because that's just the way the world works. Well, it's kind of what Bob said that he has such an iron grip on it. Correct, Bob? That's exactly right. Um, when you look at the landscape as we move towards November, let me we'll switch we'll switch camps here. Look at the Biden camp right now, and Biden's been a low profile because of the p- pandemic. You know, there's a lot of talk about him in the basement and all that, but he's kept a fairly low profile while gathering all of his former competitors in the d- Democratic field together. Kind of, how do you think they feel at this point about their chances heading into November? They feel pretty good, the Democrats. I mean, they have the House majority right now, and they're really trying to beat McConnell and win back the Senate majority. Because if you're a Democrat, if if Biden's elected and he doesn't have a Democratic Senate, so much is going to be stymied for him. He's going to be tough to get judges through, tough to get confirmations through. So they want a wholesale win in 2020. 
And they're looking at the polling and they feel pretty good. A swing state like Wisconsin, Arizona seem to be trending toward the Democrats and even Georgia, the latest polls in Georgia, which have been a ruby red state for a long time. They're showing the Democrats competitive. And we saw the Democrats competitive in 2018 when Stacey Abrams ran for governor, almost won against Brian Kemp. So the Democrats are thinking to themselves, they can expand the map, but the states that remain key to them are Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio. And, and that's going to be almost where all the, that's where the game is won and lost. And Biden with his Scranton roots and Delaware history and his ability to kind of cast himself as ordinary Joe, they feel like they have a pretty good chance, but what they're really doing right now, when, when you talk to Democrats, they say it's not that Trump's running against Biden. Trump's running against the pandemic, that this is going to be a referendum on the pandemic and how President Trump handled it, how the economy fared more than what Joe Biden is doing in terms of articulating his own message. The last time, it, the last oh, time around, hold on, I got go ahead. Uh, the last oh, time sorry. around in 2016, it didn't seem like every Democrat was on board. You know, Bernie Sanders came late to the party. It was a pretty contentious primary fight against Hillary Clinton. And there wasn't a lot of enthusiasm for, Mm -hmm. and and that's what you saw in Michigan, in Wisconsin, in Pennsylvania. Do they sense there's more enthusiasm this time around, at least at this point? Well, they have a unified target. I mean, they got to, look, I sat down with Bernie Sanders, Vermont Senator, on a few days ago for about half an hour on the record. It was an interesting conversation because I asked him all about this and he said he wants to pressure Biden if Biden wins on Medicare for all and make Biden go further than a public option on health care. But Sanders is, is there with Biden. I asked him about some of the tricky issues, the terror read, sexual assault allegation, uh, and he's, he's standing with Biden. And what makes it easier this time for Democrats is that they can't stand President Trump so much that they do have real differences in the Democratic Party. There's a huge difference between Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Bernie Sanders and, and Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they feel like they can't do another four years of President Trump. And so you have uh, Sanders putting AOC and a few of his other allies on these working groups on Biden's campaign. And they're trying to present a united front. The Democrat, to me, uh, Bernie Sanders reminds me a lot of Barry Goldwater. You think back to 1964, Goldwater loses to Johnson, but he he changes the Republican Party. He brings the Republican Party way to the right. He influences Ronald Reagan, who campaigns for him in 64. Bernie Sanders, to me, is that type of figure. He's lost twice. He's come close to winning the nomination, but he's introduced ideas like Medicare for All into the Democratic conversation. He's introduced Democratic Socialism as an idea. When I started covering Sanders back in 15, I was with him when he just started that campaign as a reporter. Those ideas, people forget it wasn't that long ago. He was seen as extreme, fringe, nowhere to go in American politics, an outsider, and now he's a major player. So things change, and uh, he's changed the whole conversation about what it means to be a Democrat. Like, are, are the Dems almost in a weird spot here? Because, and I'm sure the Republicans would say this, you want, if you want to get elected in November, obviously the worst shape the country's in, probably the better chance you have. But at the same time as an American, you're rooting for it to get better. I mean, you want to see in September or October the, the economy coming back, the pandemic. What kind of spot does that put them in? Um you know, obviously you're rooting for America. Probably, accounta- not- probably accountability, right? You look at the Biden ads, there's a lot of accountability on mm-hmm. Trump and the theme. 
what did he do? What didn't he do in the early part of 2020? Because you're right, the economy is a big variable. It could come roaring back to a point. So it's got to be about what he did and what he didn't do. And that's what Democrats are talking about. You've okay. you've been around Donald Trump for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the one thing you see that we don't on the outside when you talk to him? So I started covering Trump, then Mr. Trump, in uh, 2010, 2011. So it's really been a decade. And I started covering him closely around 2012, 2013. And the interesting thing is, for years and years, I would interview him, 2013, 14, 15, and no one cared. I mean, it was, I would do a story about Trump, and, or I would quote Trump, and people would be like, why are you talking to Trump? <laughs> and the thing is, I started my career covering the Republican Party at length. At National so Review, I, right? Yeah, as a reporter at National Review, which was really, I thought it was a tough place to start a career because covering the Republicans didn't seem like the greatest way to start a reporting career. But it turned out to be one of the, a good turn because I got to cover Trump way before people were paying attention to him. And well, here's what I noticed about Trump up close. I've spent time with him at Trump Tower. I've been with him at his golf clubs, uh, uh, on his plane. Is that one, he, how he speaks doesn't necessarily tell you about how he operates because he has this brash kind of New York way of talking. But I've seen him for hours kind of watch TV and he's always known as someone who watches TV, but there's a strategy there. I see him watch TV, react to TV on the plane, tweet something out, talk to his advisors. He's always trying to dive into the news. If that makes any sense, instead of trying to create news on his own and have talking points, like so many politicians, he'll try to latch onto something in the news and make himself part of the story And the benefit of that politically for him is he doesn't have to create advertising. He's creating his own headlines by kind of fixating on something and giving it his own twist. And so that's why he watches news. One, he does care about all the coverage of himself, no doubt about it. Uh, But he does want to be ubiquitous in the national conversation. He's also the most relentless politician I've ever covered. The only politicians who come close to him in terms of pace of campaign that I've covered are probably Bill Clinton and maybe Sanders to a point. But Trump, is, has, as a celebrity and as a public figure, has weathered so much, he doesn't really get rattled by the things that usually rattle senators I cover and governors. He, rather, he, truly, he truly loves to fight. Most politicians I talk to want to be friendly behind the scenes or wink-wink. Trump is exactly the same privately and he's, he loves to fight with reporters. And uh, that relentlessness alarms his critics, but it also tells you a lot about why he is where he is right now. Does he ever let you in on, like, you know, some politicians, and it's like coaches, okay, when they'll say something in public and then you get him behind, and you said, you know, there's a private guy and who'll soften the rhetoric and everything. Is it ever that way with him? I mean, never. 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 They don't have any illusion. I mean, and I I feel confident saying that because I've spent a lot of time with him before he was President Trump, before he was nominee Trump. Here's the interesting thing about Trump that you may find interesting is uh, some of the best conversations I've had with him have started by talking about sports, that he's a true sports junkie. So, for example, if you look at an interview, the transcripts online from 2016, I interviewed him 
at his golf club in Virginia. And we spent probably 15 minutes talking, I think about the 1990 U.S. Open. This guy, Mike Donald, came in second, and he almost won. He was kind of an everyman journeyman player, and he almost won the U.S. Open. And Trump has such knowledge of golf. that, he, And sometimes when I would interview him over the years, way back when, I'd always start off talking about golf with him because he watches the tournaments. I mean, this is a guy who really watches golf. He watches football. Just like whenever I interview Rudy Giuliani, I'll usually mention Yankees. something that's going on with the Yankees because he, he's paying attention to the Yankees. And, and Trump really pays attention to sports, but it's more football, a little bit of baseball, a little bit of college, but it's golf. He loves professional golf. Mike? I covered that tournament. <laughs> I was the first U.S. Open I covered. Mike wow. Donald was like a 300 to one shot. And one of the veteran writers had actually picked him to win. Um, Jim Murray, I think it was because right. he just picked it and he should have won and he lost in the playoff to Hale Irwin. But is he as Trump as reactionary as he comes across? Like we hear all the time that he'll hear something on TV, like something somebody from Fox news will say or whatever. And then that, that that'll shape his thought for the next, you know, is that is there a truism to that, or is that yes. a little overblown? No, it's not overblown. I mean, I mean, his advisors. I have reported this. He his advisors will often say they fear that he's always listening to the last person he spoke to. And he his reactive nature is part of why he was elected president because he's constantly able to react to news, adjust, and fight. But even his friends will tell you it's it's one of his biggest drawbacks because he can't really settle on opinions and positions. He's always willing to change, to think through things. Now, he has a few core ideas that have really been with him forever, and that's really on trade. Mm-hmm. And when I've asked him about trade over the years, his father, uh, Fred Trump, was very kind of populist on trade. Uh, so on trade, he, he really wants to always see the trade deficit addressed. But beyond trade, he's really w- listen, willing to listen to a lot of people. That's what vexes Republicans, because you look at these spending bills, he doesn't care about government spending. He's not a Republican in the traditional sense at all. He's certainly not a conservative who wants to cut spending. Now, he's given conservatives a lot. He's given them judicial nominees, Supreme Court nominees. But he's supportive of these $1,200 checks going out to every American. He's, he's fine if they, they spend in the deficit. And so Republicans have kind of struck this bargain that, yes, he's not really one of us. He doesn't think about ideology. He doesn't think about conservatism. But because of his celebrity, his ability to be this political warrior, he's able to win at least once. And he was able to win states. They had Republicans hadn't won for years, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. And so they've, they've stuck with him. And isn't it kind of how that, that Lysol thing kind of happened? The way it was relayed to us was somebody had mentioned that something to him, like was one of the last thoughts they had before they went out to do the press conference. And then all of a sudden, he just got caught up in the question or whatever and well, then start talking. And that's it. the reactionary thing that Bob's talking about. I mean, yeah, like that that's that's a little bit of the fear, right? There, but the other thing is he's always reactionary and he's listening to what people tell him. But the other interesting thing is he knows how to make news in a second. So whenever he feels like the, the headlines are trending away from him, he'll make he'll throw some kind of political bomb out there. And change the headlines. That's why, as a reporter, I always got to be careful. Like, what's going on here? It's this—it's like a battlefield, chaos. All, all these different people with different agendas making news. It's tough to navigate at times. Rob, do you, as a reporter, you're down there all the time. Obviously, we're not. When he comes out constantly and says he's the most attacked president, you know, 
more so than Lincoln, whatever. You're down there. You've, I mean, you haven't been around, you know, for 50 years, but do you feel that's true or there's a certain truism to that, that he does get, or does he bring some of that onto himself? Is it, you know, two, two sides of the equation? He, he certainly relishes the fight. So he brings on, he likes fighting with his critics. In fact, Steve Bannon, his old strategist once told me that President Trump would rather fight the media than the Democrats because to him, the Democrats are older. They don't really have power, at least when he started off in the White House. So fighting the media to him was more colorful, theatrical. It provided him with a foil that he liked, that he'd rather fight some reporter who, who he can paint as insider and, and against him. And so uh, in the press, I'm always careful to not be painted as a political character. But to your first question, politicians, presidents have always, who have come in from the outside, have, have always struggled in Washington. You think even in modern history, Reagan wasn't loved by some insiders, this Hollywood actor and governor. Jimmy Carter comes in out of nowhere in 76 from Georgia doesn't really make a lot of friends in Washington, struggles even with his own party, Tip O'Neill and others. It was, there, it was hard for them to click with Set Carter. up a primary fight against That's the, right. Carter, against the, by, uh, by Ted Kennedy. Teddy Kennedy. Teddy Kennedy runs against him in 80. One of my favorite lines of politics is, uh, you know, we do a lot of background reporting. In 1979 or 80, Kennedy's thinking about running against Carter, which he ultimately does. And uh, Carter leaks or somebody close to Carter leaks that he, he's talk, talking to his aides behind the scenes at the White House. And he says, if Kennedy runs, I'm going to whoop his ass. And it was written up that Carter said that privately. And it was a way for Carter through the newspapers to, to signal to Kennedy, I'm going to fight you if you run. And that's why I love politics. I mean, even Jimmy Carter's saying stuff like that. <laughs> when, when, yeah. when you, all right, I'm going to give you a choice. You can do what you're doing now. Or you could be the lead eagle beat writer for the Inquirer. What would be your, what would be your first choice? Uh, it, it's I would be torn because there are some days I say, man, I wish I was a music critic. Wish I was covering <laughs> Philly sports, and maybe I'll go do that at some point because these days can get crazy. But I'm also right blessed. I got a lot of opportunity here, three jobs, and so I don't mean to complain. Yeah, when at do all, you but sleep? It, that's another yeah, question. I mean, it's a crazy schedule. So I don't mean to complain, but just to be realistic, it's a crazy schedule. So some days I think, would it be so great to cover the Eagles as a beat and to just get into it and cover the games and get to know the players? So, uh, look, there's no right or wrong. I, I think covering sports is an amazing thing. I love your work, you guys. And, you know, I've had a lot of sports writers. I mean, I love the book Friday Night Lights. Michael Bamberg, who wrote a book about Pennsbury High School, writes for Sports Illustrated and Golf right. Magazine. Still a good friend of mine. And uh, yeah, Tom Boswell at the Washington Post, Post, if you guys have ever read Just I, a beautiful sports writer. Tom, Tom yeah. is the poet laureate of baseball right he now. He really is. And he, he doesn't get enough credit. I mean, Boswell should have a Pulitzer Prize. I mean, he's a brilliant writer and thinker. And he brings sports live and uh, like Chelsea Red Smith Chelsea, went to Notre Dame. So. Right. Chelsea Jeans, uh, who Chelsea, was, oh, she's great. Chelsea was the Washington Nationals beat writer for three or four years, went and covered the Democratic primaries this year. I think she's back doing just national political stuff with you guys. That's correct. Right. Um, yeah, she's great. Uh, you know, uh, Chico Harlan, uh, who was the, was the Asian, uh, the um, Japanese bureau correspondent for the Washington Post did the Nationals too. So there's a lot of, 
sports the news, and I know there's been news the sports up here a lot too. So yeah, I don't rule it out, Kevin. I mean, I don't rule it out at all covering sports at some point because the one thing about sports and music, but especially sports, is that I know it's tough sometimes dealing with the coaches and the PR people, but it's a little bit more natural. You can have conversations with players and they're not, yeah, they have their talking points, no doubt about it. But sometimes in politics, it can get a little exhausting when everyone's spinning all the time, everybody's spinning, but look, it's a, it's a, you're covering history up close. I look, the way I always talk about political reporting is, is uh, you're sitting in the dugout of history. So I get to see the players up close and kind of sit in the dugout and watch them play. And there is a certain, just like being in the locker room for the Eagles is a certain thrill and you're seeing these great teams up close or the bad teams up close. When I'm in the Senate hallways and I'm running into John McCain and he's cursing at me, it's kind of the same thing as talking to Hugh Douglas or David Akers, if that makes sense. You don't have hey, to. They, they spin in sports too. Yeah, they Just do. Just look up Jalen Hurts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to name a name. I can tell you right now, I had a coach call me at one time at 6 a.m. and curse me out for two hours. Literally, like nonstop. Uh, have you ever had something like that happen? Sure. I mean, I've had aides curse me out. Senators are a little bit more careful. Some congressmen have gotten real angry at me. But it's taught me a lot of lessons over the years about how to be careful with sourcing. Sometimes people would, early on in my career would say, it was evident I... People know that that was me on background talking. You got to be more careful about how you frame it. So I learned some lessons about that. Uh, And look, the thing is, as you know, covering people's lives, people are sensitive about their own name and how it's used. Mm -hmm. And so I'm always cognizant of that. But I've really learned, and I'm sure you have too, that when I get cursed out at, I just take it, keep my mouth shut, and move on. Because this is not worth it. And if you listen to them, if you listen to them and let them vent, you know this. Yeah. You usually end up with a better relationship at the back end of it. That's exactly right. You, you yeah, really always. Yeah. Let me ask you, and this is an impossible question. Last question, Mike. <laughs> okay. Impossible. But if you put your, your crystal ball, you look into it. Let's say we're in September, October. Where do you see us being, I would say, a world, but as a country, when we reach you know, maybe a month before the election, two months before the election, will we still be mired in a lot of what we're mired in now? Or do you think we'll start to see a light kind of at that end of the whatever? And when you do this, Robert, could you give lottery numbers for tonight's game, uh, for tonight's Powerball? <laughs> I wish I could be a, a good predictor. I, a lot's going to depend on the vaccine development. If they're making progress on a vaccine or at least kind of drugs for treatment by September, October, that will really change it all, but if they're still in this, this scenario where the vaccines are doing clinical trials and they're not really sure what's going to work, it's going to be a, a bleak time for this country. You could have hundreds of thousands of deaths by then, no real end in sight, social distancing continuing. But you look at the, the great pandemic from around World War One. Americans learn to adjust. Uh, at some point, there may be herd immunity at, in some at some level, uh, and you just hope for the best uh, and. Uh, if anything, these past few weeks have taught us something about social distancing, but the real problem I would forecast on the horizon is the health thing is going to be the health thing. There's very little we can control, but if this economy doesn't pick up, 
that's going to really create psychological problems, emotional problems, families breaking apart, businesses breaking apart. That's what really worries me just as an American that you could have hundreds of thousands of deaths and that will be horrible. But if this economy becomes a depression, we haven't seen that in a, in a really a century. And I, I don't think a lot of people are prepared for it. Robert Costa, the lead national, the lead national political reporter from the Washington post. Also the host of PBS's Washington week and a contributor, a uh, political contributor to NBC news and MSNBC. Robert, I can't thank you enough for doing this. It has been an, Stay safe. a pleasure. Uh, and congratulations on all your success, man. You, you, you've earned every bit of it. So just uh, promise me one thing. When the Phillies do have fans back, we can all go to a game together. I will. I will come down I'm there. I, I will come down. We will drive. Or down. I'll come up. To, I'll come up to Citizens Bank. Doesn't matter. Absolutely, we'll get tickets and we'll all get together. And uh, hey, or we could go to we go to a Pensbury game. What? The yeah, hell? great. Uh, great. And <laughs> and Bob, uh, hopefully after the election or as we get closer to the election or after the election, we can uh, touch back with you again here. Anytime. Stay well, guys. Thanks, Robert. Robert Costa. We'll be back right after this. Looking to reach the sports fans of Philadelphia in a brand new way? This is Kevin Cooney. Each week, the Working to Be podcast with Mike Kern and I brings the hottest topics into this sports crazed town with the people and the events that shape the landscape. Now, your business could connect with those people by advertising on the Working to Be podcast. Join us at 267-546-7277 or email us at workingthebeat at gmail.com to find out how you can reach out to this growing audience. It's the best sports talk in Philadelphia, and you can be a part of it. That's 267-546-7277 or workinthebeat at gmail.com to join the Working the Beat podcast family. Our thanks to Robert Costa from the Washington Post for joining us. I, I, Mike, I found that conversation fascinating because he is close. He does have sources everywhere. And just to get a little glimpse, I know we don't, Normally, go into polit- or we don't go strictly into the political waters as much as we did. But when you have a guest like that, I think it's just important to kind of get a mindset of what the mood is right now. Well, especially at this time when we're going through what we're going through. I mean, I look. I'm not as political as you. I, I don't follow it as much as I should. Um, but politics are interesting. I mean, I think it's like when other people look at sports who maybe aren't as into it as you or I are and, and they, they envy us yeah. because they'll say, man, you get, you like, you got to talk to Jay, right? You know, you got to, you know, you, you were there when they, and, and we just take it kind of like, yeah, well, yeah, that was my job. I think that's how he takes it. Yeah. Like, you and know, it's the, pre- it's the most important man in the free world. Exactly. And, uh, um, you know, um, and he's covered them. For long a long time. time, and uh, you know, I mean, and he seemed, I mean, I, I'll take your word for it that he does a really good job of it. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of guys. I mean, you imagine how many guys are like him down there fighting for the same stories. He does the he does a good job because he's balanced. He's not just you know, the, look, and most reporters are deep in their heart balanced, and but Robert gets both sides out and right. fairly and all that. So that's why I was very eager to have him on. Well, in any job, Kevin, even when we did our jobs. You have to be balanced. Yeah. And, and look, we all bring some sort of prejudice Person. is the wrong word, but I'll, I'll use that word because I can't think of anything better to the equation. Mm-hmm. You know, I might like Fran Dunphy a lot and some guy might be telling me, you know, you got to rip Fran Dunphy. You're too, whatever. Um, 
but it's just, you know, the way we go to do your job properly in sports, you know, you had to have a relationship with Charlie Manuel, but you also had to have a relationship with Larry Boa and John Vukovic and the players and people that you could ask questions of who might not get quoted, but they were important for you to find out information. And there were times when that re- not having that relationship hurt. Uh, sure. And there, you know, I mean, there's relationships, but there's degrees of relationships. And- well, think about the times when we were trying to do our jobs where maybe, like, I, I can say this now, Vince Nicastro, the athletic director of Villanova, was one of the greatest guys going. Right. Because he knew how to let you know what was going on. I try, I'm actually trying to get Vince on the show later on. But. He'd be great. Without telling you, you know, uh, Vince had a great way of doing that. Some athletic directors I dealt with, I mean, Bill Bradshaw Temple. He wasn't. Charlie Theokas back in the day, the Temple Athletic Director, would tell me everything because, you know, he thought that was important that I knew. And all I ever asked people was, let me know so I don't write something wrong. I didn't want to write something wrong. And if I write something wrong because you won't level with me, well, then part of that responsibility is on you too. But, you know, most of the people we dealt with were great people, I thought. Yeah, we we were we were blessed. Um, yep. Let me let me give you an update. Bob Ford is going to join us on Friday. We'll talk to him about his career, kind of the his retirement, his decision to retire, and the landscape, I guess, now of Philadelphia sports as we move forward. And I got some good. I got some good Bob Ford stories. I think I can conjure up. That's always good too. Um, hey, who was that coach? By oh, the way, did Howard at you for two hours? I'm not going to tell you on on air. Okay. Do I know him? Yeah, you do. Okay, that's fine. Um, because I was going to make a guess, but right, I don't want to make a guess because that would put you on the spot. Yeah, it would. <laughs> uh, actually, it was a high school coach, but that's a whole difference. I knew it was a high school coach. Yeah, I, I knew. Yeah. Um, so when we the news of the day involving both Major League Baseball and the NBA sounds like the progression going forward here of the NBA had a conference call last night with their board of governors. People, according to Woj and uh, Shams, um, both indicating that it was very positive and they believe that it's likely that we will resume an NBA season at some point. Major League Baseball's owners, obviously, on Monday approved a uh, plan to restart the game around the 4th of July, Mm -hmm. um, play 80 games, Travel would be limited to within your division and your opposing division in the American League. So American League East, American League, uh, and National League East, rather, would play each other uh, for the whole schedule of 82 games. Um, What happens if you're, and I'm just going to use this as an example, but there's more examples. You're the Golden State Warriors. Do you want to come back and play basketball games? You know, it was funny. It was mentioned this morning on Get Up uh, with... uh, Woj and Woj said that a lot of players realize why they have to play is as much economical. The NBA is going it's into all economic. Well, no, but as far as the NBA has a, gr- a a better grip on with their CBA coming up next year, that you need to play some games here at the end of the regular season. One to get your teams ready for the playoffs and two to get the additional revenue to keep the pot together so when the CBA comes up next year. And also, 
there's the concern that there's not going to be people in the stands at the start of next season whenever that does happen. Mm-hmm. Um, baseball, I think baseball is the trickier thing. And I'm not, I, I said this on the beginning of the show, like when I was pre-taped it before we got on the Bob. Um, I don't think there's going to be a season. I, I am flat out. I think there's too many hurdles between the health hurdles and the revenue hurdles. And I think if you're the Players Association, you are worried that this idea of a 50-50 revenue split is going to amount to a salary cap. But can't you write in there, Kevin, couldn't you say as a player's union, we're going to play the 80-game schedule or whatever it is. You could. We'll agree to this and you put it in a contract. It's just for this year because of the unique circumstances. And going forward, this is I, I got to believe that there's a legal way of doing that. Well, but I would say that the other obstacle is the fact that if you're the owners with no guarantee if there's not a vaccine by next april that you're going to have fans at least in the early portion of the season well why should i guarantee just this year under that system why can't we guarantee a whole pandemic and plus they have a cba negotiation after next season after 20 after the 21 season do up yeah i i kevin i told you this many times and you agree with me i'm sure it's all about money this has nothing to do with health issues. This has no, it, it, people can rail all they want about health issues are, are uh, health issues imp- are but they, important, they're but they're not. Yeah, you can't have an NBA if people are sick. I get that. If you have Rudy Gobert again, but that's not the, the stumbling blocks per se. The stumbling blocks are always about how much are we going to get paid, you know. And I understand from the player standpoint. I understand from the owner standpoint. I, I get this. But at some point, somebody's got to realize if we're trying to come back just to start to get a sense of normalcy, nobody's going to make what they're making. But but and and that's got to you kind of got to push that aside. You know, if, if you're doing this for the common good of the country, then you got to do it for the common good of the country. Mm-hmm. It doesn't sound like when they're talking about splitting revenues that you're necessarily doing it for the common good of the country. And I still don't understand in my heart of hearts why you would want to complete the regular season. There's no need to complete the regular season. If you're the NBA or the NHL. If you're the NBA or the NHL, I mean, I, I get the fact that you, you want to play some games to get people ready. Uh, okay, fine. But I just, you know, if you if the Sixers are going to play 15 games, you know, to get ready for a playoff, and maybe they'll jump up a spot, maybe they won't jump. Like, at some point, I think they would be much better served if they would just come back with playoffs, because people would care. Not that they're not going to care if games start being played, but if the Sixers are playing, you know, the Wizards on a Friday night with nobody in the stands, you know, like, really? I mean, but if you're playing the Celtics in a best-of-seven series, people are going to care. (laughs) Well, and I think the other part of this, too, is... And this is uh, the NBA, we should point out, has seemed to go to the single campus or double campus theory of Vegas or Orlando would be mm-hmm. the way they would have it. Baseball, right. this idea of baseball having in their home cities. I disagree. It, what? I, I don't I don't think that's the way to go. No. And, and I think you bring I too had, many variables into it. I actually talked to a source of mine last week about this um, on background and we were talking and he said that part of the reason they want to do it is because they believe that the advertising revenue 
from signs on the stands uh, or on the on the walls and behind the behind home plate and mm-hmm. you know the the there's value in there that the owners could still charge advertisers and again, and again bring what revenue. are we talking about revenue you talk about revenue it, again, Kevin. It has nothing. So if somebody can, and I'm not saying it would be safer to play it, you know, in Tampa. I, I'm just throwing Tampa out as a name. I'm not spring training that. sites, but whatever, whatever site. If you went, go to you, go whatever you pick out. What I'm saying is, when you are now flying people to different cities, and putting them in hotels, um, and putting yeah. them in hotels, um, you know, whereas you're having it at one site, you can quarantine that a lot better. Imagining than you can if you have people flying or training or bussing or whatever the case might be all over the East Coast. Now, maybe I'm stupid. Well, think about, but think about, uh, I'll I'll give an example, okay? For the Phillies, it's not a huge, it's a big deal because obviously you would have trips to New York with with the Mets and the Yankees and 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 Boston and Washington and all that. And you're going to the hot spots, okay? But think of the Texas Rangers, okay? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Think of the Texas Rangers who would have within their division trips across two time zones to uh, Anaheim and Seattle. You would talk then about playing in in a, uh, in your crossovers against the Padres, the Giants. Oh, by the way, you also had the A's in your division. The Padres, yeah. the Giants, and the Dodgers. Right. I mean, you're talking a ton of time on the West Coast, mm. two time zones away, it just, I don't know if it works that way. Well, you can make the argument that if they're getting on a plane and it's a charter plane, that that's safe. I'm, I'm just going to make that assumption. Um, so, I don't know if it matters how far you travel necessarily in terms of being safe. I, I don't know how, like if you're flying into Philadelphia from Atlanta, that could be just as dangerous as flying from Houston to Oakland. Um but again, exposure time, goes, maybe, but that's it. It just goes back to me. And I'm not saying the owners shouldn't be trying to make money. I, I don't mean that. But it goes back to me as, oh, we can make more money by having the signage in, in you know, Citizens Bank. Well, that shouldn't be a concern. If you put that against, will Bryce Harper get sick? Does it increase Bryce Harper's chances of getting sick? Because I go back to the, the, the thing that another interruption which most people seem to think there will be. Or Tony Fauci be. basically said it yesterday. And, and but, but again, Tony Fauci's not the be-all, end-all, right, according to the governor of Kentucky. and Senator I love from Fauci. Kentucky. I love Fauci's answer. I'm not. I never said I was. No. You, and he said, I don't, give, I don't give my opinions on trade. I just give my opinions. It was perfect. But anyway, I, that's all I'm saying is, is if, and I think that's why colleges are treading so lightly in all this is because they see that. They see that, and you're dealing with campus life also. But, again, in a perfect world where money didn't matter, we would just say, forget 2020. We're done. You know, like the British Open did, like Nadal said tennis should do. Whether they're right or wrong, I don't know. But, you know, we'll pick this up in 2021. Hopefully, we'll be better then. You know, maybe we'll have a vaccine, whatever. But I just think if you get – I'll just throw, well, let's say baseball. Let's say baseball comes back, and now you're in the middle of pennant races. Um, it's the end of September. The playoffs are just about to start, and you got to shut down. What would that do to the spirit of this country? Yeah. You know, if all of a sudden you're telling people, hey, 
you know, you've done, we've, we've tried this now, but you know what? You're going to have to go back into being in your home. We can't, I mean, I just think, I'm not saying it's more devastating because maybe it's not because you could always argue we had something for a while. Um, and I just think this thing with the NFL, it's just the NFL is almost acting like we're going to start. And, and I know that there's contingency plans and all that. And, you know, that hopefully they never have to use. But it just seems to me, and like like you've said a couple times, and some of our guests have said, we're not even sure what like January and February could be like. Yeah. We just don't know. Um, and we're just assuming that by that point, we're going to be back to what we were. We're going to, you know, we'll have 25 sports going then because, you know, the NHL will have, uh, we'll have uh, college basketball. We might be playing college football in February. You know, we don't know. And I, I understand the value of sports. Trust me, me and you understand the value of sports as much as anyone. But when it's put up against people getting sick again, yeah, and right now we're looking at what? Two, they're projecting 200,000, 250,000 deaths? Well, 148 was the latest total. And it'll be more than that. But, okay. Yeah, but whatever. it's going way back up. You're right. And the thing is, like, when, when something like 9-11 happened or something like Katrina happened, we went nuts. It ruled our life. That was like 2,000 lives. We're losing sometimes 2,000 lives a day. Yeah. Over and over. And and again, I'm not trying to get up on my soapbox, but I think we just have to be really careful. And you got to do it the smartest. The president keeps saying safe. Okay? You got to do it the safest way. And if that means sacrificing a, some some money, then I think that's what you have to do. But I don't see it going that way because they're already losing enough money that they're trying to make back as much as they can. And... I understand that's the American way. That's, you know, how, and I'm, it's, I'm talking about other people's money. So it's easy for me to talk about other people's money. Um, I think the bigger questions also are like, when they do think it's okay for fans to go back, just like everything else, who's going back? Yeah, there's the you know, other. How's that happening? I, I, how do you structure a stadium where, you know, you, know, you can't have every sea filled? Right, but but are we go, is America willing to go from zero? Let, let's say Citizens Bank or the link from no fans to ten thousand fans to twenty thousand fans to forty thousand, and when we get to forty thousand, all of a sudden there's an outbreak, you know, uh, you know, or is America going to want to go from zero to sixty eight thousand? You know, who who's going to tell which Eagle fans can't be in the stadium that week? Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah, well. Um, the other do you think hold, so hold you on. don't think that you don't think there's going to be baseball i don't think there's going to be baseball because they won't reach a a, I a think, negotiated piece you know i think what will happen is the clock will kind of run out on them because i think they're worried about that second wave in the fall okay, okay. where the nba and the nhl again you can look at you can look at a scenario where, okay, you come back and then three weeks later, half your teams are gone anyway. You don't have to worry about quarantine. You just finish the season. Right. Trying to start a season under these circumstances and trying to trying to get it where you're moving people around the country and everything, I, I just, I think logistically, more, you look, the money issue is there and there's, de- there's a distrust between the union and the and the owners. But I think in the end they're going to settle that 
it, it's logistically just too impossible to do. And the players won't get paid anything, Kevin. Like if they don't, play players won't get paid anything. Owners won't get and paid and anything. They're willing to Jeff do Pace, that. Jeff Passan had a great uh, thing this morning, where he basically said the the trouble here is players players a lot of players do despite their salary live paycheck to paycheck, right? Uh, you know, younger guys, everything, right? Um, owners with no revenue and who are maybe over leveraged at this point, if they have just bought a team or something, uh, could be dealing with bankruptcies. MLB may have to end up bailing them out. That's part two. And part three is what does this do to like free agency in the off season? Um, you know, if you're JT real Muto and you don't play for a year and nobody has revenue coming in to pay you, that's a problem. So, there's a lot of issues at play, but I just don't think on the health standpoint, they're going to be able to clear the hurdles. I think it's more Again, the health than the money, to be honest. I just think, I think when all these leagues are talking about coming back and what you just brought up, everybody in the back of their mind is, or the front of their mind is thinking September and October could be bad. So why are we coming back? This is what I don't get. It's like, it's like you're coming back and crossing your fingers and hoping like hell because Mike, because Mike, and I think this is what we boiled down with Bob earlier. There's a lot of pressure to get life back to normal. Right, but it ain't normal. I, that, I, that's what I'm trying. Everybody uses that word. I normal. understand, but there's a, if you're Adam Silver or Rob Manfred and you have Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump and the governor of Illinois, J.B. Pritzker, hmm leaning on you and saying, hey, come on, we need something. Come on, let's go. Okay. Well, it, It's tough. And by the way, it's not just, we we should point out, it's not just Republicans doing this. Oh, I'm not saying there, no, this I, is. There's uh, Andrew Cuomo has been pretty active about wanting sports to return right. as a distraction. J.B. Pritzker. Nobody yeah, but he say, wasn't talking about New York City, I don't think. He was talking about other parts of the state, right? I mean. No, he was you, talking about like the Mets and Yankees playing. Okay. Hey, look. These are the same people but, that are telling me the meat packers should go back well, into plant well, to keep the meat going. And I get it. Which will lead which will lead to the next the topic here. Uh the Cal State system last night announced that classes all its classes for the fall semester will be virtual, which means that San Diego State, Cal State Fullerton, a lot UCLA. of UCLA. Oh no, UCLA's not part of UCLA it. UCLA is not part of it. Uh, but LA did say, did you see the thing? LA looks, is now through looks like it's going to be closed through August. August. Right. They can't have a college season at this point, can they? Well, Dabo Swinney said they could. One of the problems with all this, Kevin, it goes back to what James Franklin said, you know, last week. And every state has different parts to it. Yeah. Philadelphia is not eerie. Okay, but we're trying to govern as if they are because well, we don't have a And in fairness to Tom Wolf, and I know that's something that a lot, a lot of people want to say. Right. Wolf has ease restrictions for most of the state that's not the southeast part. No, but I'm saying I think he's doing – I'm look, I think he's doing the right thing because he's trying to do it that way. Mm-hmm. Maybe people think he isn't and they think I'm an idiot. Okay, fine. I'm the one that might have to stay in for another month. Um, but I think when you're dealing with the country as a whole, it, it's not apples and apples. L.A. is not um, – uh, I don't know Houston, maybe. I mean, or or I mean, I you know, there's there, you're you're mostly dealing with big cities when you're talking by, about sports franchises, 
And, you know, but every city is not every city. Right. And when you're saying to one city, well, they can't come back in Philadelphia, you know, but boy, we could come back here. And I think that's what Franklin was trying to say. Yeah, I was talking to um, somebody at Villanova the other day, and they've already told me that they're talking about, like for football, maybe just in the CAA, just playing like your regional opponents. They don't think they're going to be playing the Boston teams come um, come the fall because they don't think Boston will be ready. But they, they want to play Delaware, um, Towson. Um, um, I'm probably leaving somebody else out. I don't know. But, I mean, you, you know, it, it, everything is different. You know, the CAA, you know, Boston, I mean, uh, the, the, S, the ACC, Boston College is in that conference. Yep. Well, Boston College isn't Wake Forest. Um. You know, and I think what, when Franklin said what he said at first, I thought, eh, you know, I'm not sure. But I think, you know, if the Big Ten says, hey, uh, how, how many schools in the Big Ten now? 12 or 14? I lose 14. track. 14. So let's say 10 could yes, play. the Big Ten has 14. 14 teams. Um, let's say 10 of them could play. Do you tell those 10 not to play? I mean, I, I like, I don't know. But what I, the, the problem I think we have, Kevin, is we keep using the word normal. Well, Mike, I, I mean, there's, there's, no other word. That, there's no other word. But it's I not thought, normal. But, but I think if you listen to Mark Emmer and the idea of, and, and we talked about this when we had Dana and um, when we had um, Dana and Jensen on. I mean, Jensen. Um, the idea that college campuses will be closed to the general public. We think. No, but I'm just, I'm playing the example out. Right. If college campuses are closed to the general public. Right. And yet you're going to bring unpaid student athletes onto campus. Right. Mark Emmerich's right. You can't have that. No, you you can't can't have that. No, you and I agree on that. I'm, I, but, but I don't, people who are going to argue with you. But, but this idea that we're talking about, about what life reopening. Okay, and, and and trying to get back to normal. If you don't have a vaccine, you can't. And, and Dana mentioned it because her daughter's at Alabama. College dorms are are, are petri dishes, right. and I just don't see. You know, at this point, I think by the middle of June, college football is going to have to look. And I know you're saying you can't do a one size fits all thing. But you can't have ten Big Ten teams playing and four not. You can't. Well, I'm just, what I'm saying to you, Kevin, is it goes back to the same thing we're talking about with baseball. It goes back to the same thing it's we're money. talking about. It's money. It has nothing to do when people say health. It's health is yeah. Health is a concern for sure. But if health was a concern and your campus is closed, then you can't play. It. it there's no sentence that comes after that. But if you're going to have Beaver Stadium. Be open, even if it's just for the the fifty, the sixty players on Penn State and the sixty players on Syracuse. Oh, hundred, but okay, okay. Well, I'm just saying, and, and the officials, and maybe some family members, and whatever. No tailgating, no um, whatever. There's only one reason why you're playing that game. TV running money from NBC or CBS or whoever ESPN, mm-hmm. and that's the only reason. Okay, so. Anybody that wants to argue with me different, and if, if the argument is that's going to make Mike Kern, because hundreds of millions of people now can sit on in front of their TVs and watch college football, 
that that's a good thing. I would not disagree with that. But, you know, do I want to see Penn State playing Ohio State? Sure. It's fun. But it's not going to be normal. And, 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 and anybody that doesn't get that. Now, I understand there's steps towards normalcy. Mm-hmm. There's steps. It's like when, when Macy's reopens. There ain't going to be 300 people waiting to get in Macy's the first day Macy's is open. There may be nobody. Um, but you have to start somewhere. I'm just not. I think the NCAA would be almost better off if they said we're going to try to have a schedule in the spring. Spring. I agree. Um, and that would have problems too. We we all know that. But we, you know, Wisconsin. But it's is, better than what the options I could think, be at shutting down better. this year. Yeah, and, and anything that happens this year in sports, and maybe even next year, is always going to have an asterisk next to it. Like, let's say Wisconsin, for sake of argument, let's say this is a bad argument because all these teams in the Big, Big Ten play in cold weather. But let's say Wisconsin was supposed to host Penn State, and Wisconsin's going to get a bad snowstorm, and Penn State isn't. And they said, okay, you know what? We're we'll going to have to it. play the game at Penn State instead of playing it at Wisconsin. It's easier to do it because you don't have to worry about fans and refunding. I, I, but but this notion that health is the primary concern, mm-hmm. even at the collegiate level, mm-hmm. okay, I think it's more at the collegiate level, but it should be a very simple, it should be very simple. If on June 30th, because college football teams would have to start getting ready around then, right? You need about two months, You don't need you? two months, yeah, because okay. you, no, you had no spring football. Right, unless you play an abbreviated schedule, maybe you don't start to October, and then again, you're talking about the pandemic maybe in October being worse, but... If college, on, on June 30th, if Penn State knows that it can't open campus the campus in September, you know, it makes the same decision that the Cal, Cal State schools did. How can you even think about having football? Like, what are you going to tell? What, what are other fall sports? Is soccer a fall sport? Soccer, field hockey. Okay, so you're going to tell the soccer cross country to play? You're going to tell the field hockey people? Like, the same rules have to apply for them that apply for yeah. football. Because Cross if country. They if they don't, then you're telling me the almighty dollar is the only thing that matters. Yep. And I'm not saying that, that that's not a truism. It, it's what makes us go. I, I, I get it, and it pays for a lot of things. But these are once in a century, hopefully, times that we're living in. Yeah, I don't I don't need a second time. Thank you. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, but, but, hey, look, we... We've had people predicting that these things could now, you know, 10 years from now, who the hell knows yeah. what happened. I, we had a couple in the, in, in the last decade or decade and a half that just didn't turn out to be this. Yeah. You know, so I don't know, but I'm just saying is, and, and how would you feel if you're a 20-year-old kid? How would you feel if you're the parent of that 20-year-old kid? I don't know. Yeah. Because I don't have a 20-year-old kid. And I, th- and I think, Mike, one of the things that has to be addressed if they do decide to s- some schools, let's say the SEC decides it. One of the things that has to be addressed from a legal standpoint in my mind. Oh, God. If a player decides he's not comfortable playing. Right. Because of health issues or health concerns. Right. Boy, what a bad look. What rights does he have? What rights does he have? Yeah. Yeah. I mean. That's a great question, Kevin, because I. I mean, scholarships are only a one-year deal anyway. Nobody seems to grasp that, but they're a one-year deal. You can take a kid's scholarship away. At end. Nobody does. I mean, it, it happens very infrequently. Because it looks bad if it di- if but, they do. But it's the same problem now that workers are facing. Mm-hmm. You know, if your plan opens up, the meatpacker guy, and mm-hmm. he says, you know what? I know. He can't get unemployment. He's out of a job. Yeah. I mean, 
And I'm not saying what's fair and what's not fair to the employer, too. But I think if you're asking a guy to go back into a situation that's basically been proven to be not that safe or not as safe, don't you have to at least ensure there's going to be masks, there's going to be gloves, there's going to be testing, there's going to be whatever. And it just seems like, no, we need meat. Of course we need meat. <laughs> you know, we 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 need we need everything. We're, we're, we're you know we're built on this this big chain of things happening, and and all are dependent upon other things. But it's see it's just to me that I don't think sports should be at the upper echelon. But apparently people disagree because we live in a. a I don't think me and you realize because we worked in the business how sports centric America is oh. and the world really. Oh, I, I mean, think we I think we had an understanding. I don't think we knew that. But we were close to it. Yeah. So I think we just took it kind of, okay, Villanova's playing Seton Hall tonight, and there's going to be packed house, and it's going to be great. We're going to go watch the game. But I think there's a lot of people whose lives, especially in times when you can't do anything else, yeah. revolve around that. I mean, look, if there was – you you and I know, if, if the Los Angeles Lakers were playing the Milwaukee Bucks this Sunday – We will watch it. They would set a ratings record. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to find and we're going to find out this week. Obviously, NASCAR returns this weekend at Darlington. No fans, right? No fans. Okay. Uh, you're having a couple made for TV golf events coming up. Uh, yeah, this weekend. Um, and, and they're they're for charity. They're for charity, but they're for charity, which is awesome. They should have a, a charity event every. It's programming. Yes, which but it's for charity. It's going right. to raise money to help somebody. Uh, it's Tiger and Phil. It's Tiger and Phil and Peyton and and, uh, and Brady. It's Tiger and Peyton against Phil and Brady, and the other one is um, Rory uh, versus. No, it's two people. It's Rory and Dustin versus Ricky Fowler and Matthew Wolf. Right. How Matthew Wolf got in, I don't know. I was just gonna say that he's a good golfer. He, yeah, look, he was probably available, or they were doing. Who who knows why? It, you know. Um. So that's coming up. I didn't bet it on Better's Insider. I will tell you at some point who to bet. Okay. The underdog is Phil's the underdog. And Fowler is obviously the underdog. Like, how do you bet on that knowing what Brady, not knowing what Brady and Manning's golf game well, looks like? Well, well, first of all, it's, it's th- that, that one. It, I don't know how the other one's going to work. That one is nine holes of, I think, better ball. So that's going to be basically tag. I mean, I don't, I'm guessing they're going to play with handicaps. Um, and the second nine holes is a modified alternate shot. So Brady and Peyton are actually going to have to hit shots that are going to count. Right. I'm imagining at some point. I was reading up on it because I just figured I should try to know what I'm talking about. They estimate that Peyton's about a four handicap and Brady about a six. So they're basically pretty equal. Um, hey, but you know what? It, it, it's, it's all about Phil and Ty. I mean, of course, Brady and Peyton will bring people to the equation too. Yeah. Um, and look, people need it. It's it's it, you know, like you, it's it's something. It's it's. Tell me, you know, tell me if you think this is a wrong comparison. I almost view the Manning Brady relationship. I'm not sure if you saw the uh, Peyton Place thing they did on ESPN Plus, where Brady and Manning did like a half hour special together uh, for the NFL's hundredth anniversary. No, I, I didn't see it. Okay, but I almost view them as like the Arnie and Jack of the NFL. Like um, they're tied together in a way, and there was a pretty good uh, rivalry between them. Yeah, but the difference was Arnie was the king, uh, and he won uh, seven majors, and when Jack came along, he won one more, 
But Jack beat him at the 62. Jack sort of took his crown. I don't know if Peyton Manning had the crown. Like, I'm not sure Peyton ever had the crown. You're right. I'm the biggest Peyton Manning guy in the world. I still think, this is my opinion, regular season, he was as good as anybody who ever played the position. And I don't think he had the talent around him. That, well, I shouldn't say that. Well, sometimes he did and sometimes he, he didn't. didn't. But when you looked at Peyton Manning, he was born to play that position. He was born to play, you know, at three years old. I remember doing a story on him when I flew down there. He was he was watching, you know, his dad's films from from Old Miss and whatever. He wasn't great in the playoffs. And that'll be the thing that will always uh, you know, people will point to. Brady's been great in the playoffs. Montana was great in the playoffs. Um, so I don't think it was quite the same thing, but I think you could make the argument, and you probably would not be wrong, even with Breeze. And some other guys that Peyton and and um, Brady were the two best quarterbacks of this era, and that's saying something because Drew Brees played. Obviously, um, give me a couple other guys that have played like in the last two decades. Um, Phil Rivers. Yeah, but I don't think Phil Rivers is quite in that group. Phil Rivers was very good. I think to me Peyton well, Manning. Those and, two and and Brees. That's it. Yeah, and, but I'm probably leaving. Uh, I don't know. Um, those two guys. The last two me, decades. Yeah, man, yeah, you, that's probably right. I mean, some people might throw uh, the guy from Seattle, like, could get in there, or Ben, or whatever. They're, they're not, you know. Yeah, I'm not. Those, those are the two best. Roethlisberger will probably be the next group. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't, th- I mean, look, and I love Roethlisberger. I love the way he plays. It's not the same. It, oh. It's Peyton Manning was, whether you liked him, didn't Ro- like him. Roethlisberger had a better running game. I, I remember that game he came in here when the Colts stunk that one year. They were they had lost all their guys. He came in here and he went up to the line of scrimmage and audibleized every play at the line of scrimmage and they beat mm-hmm. the Eagles like thirty one to ten yep, here. And but they, look in the playoffs he wasn't he wasn't that good. Well, he, he had, had to go through New England too. Yeah, but New England always home. had the better defense. I think that, yeah, that, but he lost at home a couple times. Like he lost that one year to Pittsburgh right. when he had the really bad game because well, of the um, idiot kicker. Like Vanderjack. Yeah, but it's still it, it I'm not blaming him because I like I said, I love Peyton, but right. he didn't shine in the playoffs. And even the two Super Bowls he won, he wasn't necessarily great in them. He was you know, the one he was, was okay. rain, it, right. It, I mean the Bronco game, he, he didn't do anything. The Broncos well, to be honest won. to be honest, Brady's last Super Bowl. Right, but it, yeah, but he did bring him back from twenty eight three. Well, yeah, he did bring him back against Seattle to one year with two fourth quarter touchdown drives. He did lead him down the field against the Rams. I mean, nah, nah, Brady, Brady, Brady trust me, Brady, Brady's had some Super Bowl moments. Believe me. Oh, he's yeah. I'm just saying, like the last one against uh, uh, no, that, Rams he stunk, was but not good. He but did throw the pass to Gronk. He did. The, you know, hey, by the way, oh. have you watched the Last Dance? Yes. So what we what we'll get we into that. I want to get into that on Friday, because okay, uh, with with Bob's here and everything. I'll forget by then, but that's okay. Guy, okay, ask me then. No, 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 no. I just wanted to get your thoughts. It. You no, know. it, it's fascinating. Is Michael? I mean, I don't think you, it's made Jordan look all that great, to be honest. But see, here's what I don't get about this. What don't people understand about Michael Jordan? He was a prick. Tiger Woods was a prick. The reason Tiger Woods won 15 majors and Phil won five was because Tiger was a prick, and he made no bones about it. I can't believe you I'm said going, that word three times in 15 I'll seconds. Say it four times. Kobe, Kobe <laughs> is the closest thing to Michael Jordan. Kobe, Kobe, Kobe wanted to get up on your throat and 
Cut yeah. your heart out. LeBron isn't like, and I don't mean LeBron doesn't want to beat you just as much. LeBron doesn't. LeBron have is not that guy. He's just as great. He's probably, he's probably greater than Kobe. But Kobe was Michael Jordan, and Kobe Jordan no bone. Kobe. Now, do I think Jordan went over the line? Sure, but that's what he thought he had to do to win those championships and become who he was. All right, let me. Like I said, we'll get to this on Friday because I got some a couple of announcements here coming up here. Um, for starters, uh, congratulations are in order. Should I share it with the congratulations or get well soon? You already said congratulations. Oh, no, no, no. Good. We can always No, go. you already said congratulations, so go with the congratulations. All right. To uh, our buddy Matt Breen, uh, whose wife Tara gave, yeah, I heard. gave birth to uh, Maxwell Joseph Breen uh, last Friday. Uh, I believe uh, almost ten pounds. I hope uh, I, ten pounds, almost a ten pounder. Yeah, I'm getting. I'm did, did the kid have a pe- a slice of Pizza City yet? I <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, hopefully he's home. Uh, everything sounds like he's good. And uh, congratulations to the Breens. Is, is that did he, did was Matt allowed to be in there for the birth? I did not. That, I I just was trading texts with. Yeah, him. in these in these days, I mean, that probably was was you know a lot more stressful than it needed to be. Uh, th- uh, get well wishes to our buddy James Wagner, uh, Wags, uh, who is the assistant commissioner of the uh, Colonial States Athletic Conference. Good friend of the show. Good friend of all of ours. Uh, is in the hospital right now uh, with. Uh, after suffering a heart attack last week. Uh, Are you kidding me? No. You're not. How old is Wags? He, he's, he's, he's younger than me, I think. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Jesus. So Wags tweeted out he's doing okay. Oh, God. But he had a stent put in and... Uh, oh, our, our you best. know what that is? Too many years of being around me and you. That's right. That's probably what that is. That's true. Uh, God almighty. Get, get well wishes the Wags, who's one of the awesome dudes that maybe people oh, around here man. don't recognize as much, but he, on Twitter, he's always a fun person to be around. And in person, he is the best friend you can have. So uh, our our best wishes, the Wags, we know he'll pull through this. This week, as I said, Bob Ford will be joining us on Friday. Uh, talk about his career. We'll get into the last dance as well. Bob knows as much about the NBA as anybody. Uh, next week, Deuces Rogers from uh, 6ABC will join us on Tuesday uh, to talk about Philadelphia sports a little bit. I want to press him on what it's like sitting next to a legend every night in Jim Gardner. Is he sitting next to him now, though? He probably is. He is not. He's been working from home. That's the other part. I love the at-home setup that some of these people have on television. My fear, Kevin, is that it may become permanent. You know, once people figure out... Do you miss the basement? Like vir- vir- virtu- no, but I'm saying... It's like like colleges. Yeah. I mean, at some point, and I don't know how that would figure in the revenues and stuff, but at some point, a college might figure, you know what? It's cheaper. We we can do this. For, yeah, but they might not generate as much money. I, yeah, I, they I, don't, mean, I don't know. But they, they might figure out, hey, you know what? We, we can do this. And I'm not saying that Channel 6 won't, doesn't want their people in there. I don't mean I'm it sure way, they but, do. But at some point, they might say, you know, yeah, deuces. You want to stay home today? You, you know, okay, you know, do it from your den or and I don't know what's all involved in that, like how they get them the information, how they, you know, usually you have a producer working with you or you have somebody helping you or whatever. I, I don't, right. I don't know how all that works, but um, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to tease Friday's show. Okay. I'm going to give you a quick Bob Ford story that I will repeat on Friday. It's this unlike you to I, repeat a story, but go ahead. No, nah, because Bob, Bob will get a laugh out of it. It's a Temple Virginia Tech football game. And I'm going to say around 
early 2000s, maybe. I don't know. And Bob comes to the game as a columnist, which almost never happened. I was there on a Saturday. Why? I don't know. But anyway, they're playing Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech's heavily favored, whatever. And Temple comes down, and they tie the score with about like 10 seconds to go. Whatever. And I'm not sure if this happened in regulation or overtime. They might have went to overtime. And Temple scores to draw within one. And I looked at Bob. Bob's sitting next to me. I said, shouldn't they go for two here? Just try to win the – I love Bobby Wallace. Bobby Wallace is great. But I said, shouldn't they try to go for two? And Bob's like, yeah, yeah, yeah let's get the hell out of here. I want to go home. And he looks at Temple lines up to kick the extra point to tie. Bob looks at me. He goes, they can't miss this, can they? I said, Bob, it's Temple. The kick clangs off the upright. He starts laughing his ass off. And that night on TV, everybody replayed that play like 100 times. And it was Temple getting on the news for the wrong reason. Of course. And I'll never forget Bob's line. They can't miss this, can they? (laughs) Bob, yes, they They can. can. Uh, Then next week, Thursday or Friday, we'll have Scott Lauber, uh, the Inquirer's Phillies beat writer who... We uh, might know if there's a season by then. Yeah, we may. Who also has a book out, The uh, Big 50, about the history of 50 of the most colorful characters and uh, occasions in Philly's history. He has a book out, so you may want to pick that up. A lot of reading going on right now. If you, Todd Zalecki's book is out, obviously, on Roy Halliday. It's on, um, it, it actually, I believe, coming out hardcover next week. But if you haven't. I'm so out, lazy, Kevin. I, I've got like six books sitting here. I've read all, five books in the pandemic. You know what? And 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 I um, it's a it's a testament to me. I'm lazy. I'd rather sit here and watch Monk than I just don't. Because once I pick up a book, I tend not to put it down. Mm-hmm. Like I'll just start reading. You give me a Dan Jenkins book. Oh my god! Like I, I'll be, I, I I'll am be on page. Whatever. I am on page two ten of Zalecki's book. Uh, I read the Lada's voice. Uh, I read uh, Front Row at the Trump Show by Jonathan Carl. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a couple other old ones around here that I read. Hey, book, before book we Kronk, go, I, I, yeah, you made a real interesting point with our guest today about the role that Merle Reese played. Oh. In, and, and I don't even think I kind of got that. Like, I knew Merle was from around here, and you know, and I knew he had the radio station and all. But you think about, like, what he did for people coming up in the business and giving them an opportunity— Huge. And that might not happen as much these days as we all know with access and well, such. But there's a guy like Merle who goes out of his way mm-hmm. to say, hey, no, come on. Come down to the locker room. Talk to Acres or whatever. I mean, that's that's a, that just tells you what kind of a, you know, and I don't know how many of those guys are coming along now. I mean, I hope they still are. And Merrill, like I could tell you from working in Bucks County for a long time, you know, those small radio stations, WBCB, uh, was huge in, in in the Levittown, Fairless Hills, Lower Bucks area. Sure, WMPV out of Lansdale, which all of you knew, know, fold it. Um, I mentioned it on an earlier show, fold it a couple at the end of April. Um, they were huge, and they gave access, and they gave people careers. And unfortunately, some of them are going away, and that is part of the unfortunate nature of what has gone on in these yep. times. So, yep. All right, Michael. I will see you on Friday. Uh, I don't. I don't have a time yet, by the way. So uh, okay, Bob after back we're done me. here, stay on the line. I want to ask you who that guy was because I'm going to make a guess. Okay. All right. Okay. Our thanks to Robert Costa from 
the Washington Post for joining us. Our thanks to you for joining us. We'll see you on Friday. This has been Work of the Beat.